The tourism industry has embarked on an ambitious programme to increase the amount of money it contributes to the national economy over the next decade. The sector wants to take the number one spot in overseas earnings away from the dairy industry. But this Radio New Zealand Insight asks, how realistic is that? And what are the challenges ahead? Your journey starts beneath southern skies, where crater and ocean meet. For 15 years, New Zealand has sold itself across the globe as a 100% pure experience. And where unspoiled islands are never far away. It's recognised as one of the most successful destination branding exercises in the world. New Zealand is blessed with abundant scenery, which is as diverse as it is dramatic. Those promoting this country overseas bill New Zealand as the ultimate getaway holiday, with a diversity of experiences on offer from the urban vibe in Auckland through to the majestic Southern Alps. Economically, the sector is New Zealand's second biggest earner of foreign exchange, and now the industry wants to take that a step further. By 2025, tourism is expected to be this country's most important moneymaker. Your dreams are waiting. We're going to do a tour of both islands of New Zealand and so we've just flown into Christchurch and then we're just going to travel all around the South Island, go across and up the North Island. Uh, now I'm going south and then we'll take the ferry after in Wellington to go to Picton and then visit also all the South Island and then back to Auckland to fly back to Europe. Today visitors generate a little over $24 billion of value to the economy each year. In a decade the industry wants to increase that to $41 billion. But how realistic is that, and what does it mean for those who work in the industry and the communities who rely on tourism for their well-being? I'm Steve Wilde, and this insight looks at the aspirations of the tourism industry and asks what's next for this important yet uncertain sphere. Oh, well, we're going actually to Kaitaia. Um, we're going to have a midwinter Christmas in Kaitaia, so we're doing a little road trip. And we're going to stay at Paihia tomorrow night. Uh, so he's done whale watching, a bit of hiking, um, and also glacier hiking. For tourists, both domestic and international, there are many reasons why they travel here. But as the Professor of Tourism at Lincoln University, David Simmons, explains, there is a worrying trend which has been slowly manifesting itself during the past decade. While international visitor arrivals uh, have been going up, uh, their expenditure over the last 10 years uh, has, in the last uh, three or four in particular, has been stable. And that's happening because of changing trends in markets. So we have uh, new markets emerging, such as China and India. They bring with them a shorter length of stay. And that shorter length of stay and different travel patterns is resulting in a decreased overall uh, contribution per tourist. And at the bottom of this sits a, um, sits a slowly decreasing contribution of tourism to our GDP. It's time for coffee with the Prime Minister John Key ahead of a gathering in Auckland of tourism business people from around the nation. He's been the Minister of Tourism for six years now, and it's on his watch that $158 million of extra funding has been allocated to Tourism New Zealand. The industry has responded to that with its own strategy, the Tourism 2025 Framework, a plan to significantly increase the value of the sector. The Prime Minister acknowledges tourism is a complicated industry, and achieving that goal will not be easy. 
it's in many respects quite a disparate industry. You have people who could be you know, a small motelier in Tamuka um, and Air New Zealand at the other end of the spectrum with you know this massive sort of uh, you know and successful airline. So you're trying to deal with you know different parts of that with different ambitions and different audience, um, but. Yeah, overall, what the strategy is really, I think, trying to say is, well, firstly, let's understand what the growth is going to be, and they're identifying Asia, particularly China, as part of that. Secondly, what does the industry need to do to cope with that kind of change that's sensible? Uh, what infrastructure do we need to sort of support that? And generally speaking, is the industry itself attuned to what actually this changing visitor face looks like? The Tourism 2025 framework was developed by the Tourism Industry Association, a private sector trade organisation whose 1,500 members contribute 85% of New Zealand's tourism income. The association's chairperson Grant Lilly says the goal the sector has set itself is achievable. Well, the key target is to lift the value of tourism as, as a, an economic sector here, from currently $24 billion of economic uh, value uh, right now to $41 billion by 2025. So in a decade to, uh, to increase the value very, very significantly. That's a, a compound annual growth rate uh, of 6%. 6% every year, year on year, will get us to $41 billion. We think that's achievable. And if we can, you know, tourism will be back in place as New Zealand's biggest economic sector, biggest export earner. To look at the current figures, the tourism industry appears to be back on a high. Total visitor arrivals in the year to April are up 6%, with some markets like Germany, the UK and the United States rebounding as much as 20% following the global financial crisis. In total, 2.7 million tourists came to this country last year, and with the emerging markets such as China, India and Southeast Asia showing such massive potential, those in the industry could be forgiven for thinking the road ahead will be paved with gold. But academic David Simmons is urging caution and says it's wrong to focus on such narrow sets of data. He says a more long-term analysis is needed. Tourism uh, as a sector is not performing as well uh, as it has in the past, and it is, in terms of its total contribution, is on a slow and steady decline. And so, uh, yes, it's easy to be buoyed by uh, current trends, but I would, uh, I would advocate we take a longer-term picture, and, and as has been done with the Tourism 2025 uh, strategy, to try and cast... Uh, some aspirational goals and to um, set a, a steadier platform where we can uh, roll with the sort of ebbs and flows a bit better. The Tourism Industry Association has broken down its 2025 strategy into a number of target areas which it wants tourism businesses to align themselves with. The goals focus on making more money from current investments and resources, the visitor experience, growing sustainable travel connections, particularly by air, and pursuing economic benefit by targeting high-value tourists. Finally, Tourism 2025 aims to collect and share relevant data and turn it into meaningful information which can be used and shared among tourism businesses. 
The association's incoming chief executive, Chris Roberts, says there will be significant challenges ahead. As a framework, yes, it makes a lot of sense. You can fit everything that uh, tourism is about within that framework. Of course, what is really going to matter to the people is, is the results at the end of the day. Do we actually see growth? Do we actually see more productive tourism businesses? Uh, do we see a greater contribution to the economy? So you're breathing life into that framework is clearly going to be a big part of my job. Whale Watch Kaikoura is at the forefront of the visitor boom. It's a 100% Māori-owned business, and 10 years ago it hosted 40,000 tourists, while this year more than 2 million travelled out to see the whales. Its chief executive, Kauahi Napora, is excited about the future plans. The whole community, thankfully, has come on board. So about 10 years ago, the whole community went on a journey. And so we realised that because of the phenomenal growth that we experienced with tourism and the fact that that's probably likely to continue, uh, we needed to do something as a collective to try and minimise that tourism uh, footprint. We're currently going through the process of upgrading our business plans um, in terms of our long-term strategies and trying to align some of those key things around what 2025 is trying to do with what we're trying to do. Um, and so we, we feel very strongly about the, uh, the collaborative approach that's being recommended. You know, everyone working together, everybody doing their bit, um, you know, to hopefully get us across that line in 2025. And I'm quite, um, quite rapt that they've set such aspirational goals, because I think you set those aspirational goals, it gives you something really hard that you need to work for. And even if we get, you know, three quarters of the way there, it'll be an amazing result for, um, for tourism in New Zealand. Whale Watch Kaikoura is being hailed over its approach, which the Tourism Association says shows how businesses can align with the plans for huge expansion. The Whale Watch team have picked the visitor experience from the 2025 framework, and they're working to make it the best it can be. For Air New Zealand, it's all about connectivity. The 2025 framework aims to grow sustainable air connections to this country. New Zealand is about as far away from anywhere as it's possible to go. But Air New Zealand's Chief Executive Christopher Luxon says the 2025 connectivity goal fits perfectly with the airline's decision to be the first to fly the 787-9 Dreamliner. It's really quite exciting for us because it means uh, on one level we can really upgrade the customer experience. You know, we've had uh, some older aircraft running around our network which is incredibly frustrating for us because we want to be able to offer better product to our customers so particularly into places like China and Japan uh, this 787 is where we'll, we'll point this tremendously into those markets and that's really important. Really our big thrust is about building sustainable air connectivity. The reality is as an airline you can fly aircraft anywhere in the world but if you can't build a business and actually make the economics hang together then what you see is airlines leave the market very quickly so just getting an airline to New Zealand or to a market isn't a goal in itself. It's about can we make it viable for that airline to stay and is it attractive enough for them to stay versus sending that aircraft to another country around the world in their network. So that's really what this is about, is that if we can get ourselves into more modern aircraft that give us a lower cost base, that enable us to actually be more sustainable, actually also build greater customer loyalty, um, keep our product updated, you know, that's how it all sort of adds together to make sure that service stays sustainable. There is one area where Professor Simmons says the framework may struggle to reach its goals. He has doubts about how much can be done to improve the sharing of information, ideas and data within the industry. 
many years ago, there were four or five tourism development officers around the country who weren't sort of standing in Auckland facing the world saying, come hither, but were travelling the country, bringing the data down, and at times helping businesses uh, develop products. So the mandate for Tourism New Zealand is to be outward focused and to be... I guess, generate, sharpen, capture demand. To me, what is missing in the governance framework is is the question of how is the rest of central government's voice uh, coordinated and presented in tourism. That whole of government approach, and in particular with regard to safety, is an area where the Labour spokesperson for tourism, Darian Fenton, says the Prime Minister has let the industry down. Well, as you know, we've had a, a tragic few years of accidents in the adventure tourism industry, both in civil aviation and in um, adventure activity. The Prime Minister promised in 2010 that he would clean up this industry. There was a review co- conducted, uh, a cons- consultation carried out, um, and new regulations brought in. I think they were, first came in in t- 2011. That requires adventure activity tourism operate, operators to register, uh, and around 400 have done that. But what the government failed to do was to fund the inspections that were going to be required, uh, the audits that were going to be required to demonstrate that they're safe and they meet the new regulations. The figures I got from the government were there's been 72 of those more than 400 organisations that have been audited for safety. Uh, the deadline is the 1st of November 2014. Come if, if those organisations have not been audited and um, certified to be safe, they will be in breach of the health and safety and employment regulations. That will be a major problem for New Zealand and for those operators. But the Prime Minister says he is working on that and he's confident the audits will meet the deadline. Yeah, I can give an assurance they'll be done. I mean, I get a weekly update now from WorkSafe. Um, we've been following that process very rigorously in, in sort of recent times. Uh, there's an extension to the number of auditors that will actually be available, and all the advice I get from WorkSafe New Zealand is they'll complete all of the audits before November the 1st. They've literally been hiring a different group of auditors, so Outdoors New Zealand was an entity that got itself in a bit of trouble, uh, but there's a range of other auditors that have been brought in. They've obviously been tested to ensure that they can do the job properly, uh, but overall we're confident we're going to get there. One company that is trying to create seamless boundaries and share information is Time Unlimited. Its director, Kayleigh Spirith, says the company integrates the Māori experience into the tourism industry. She says Māori philosophy is perfectly suited to ensuring both a sustainable and profitable industry. We base it on the three um, pillars or the three po of manakitanga, um, guardianship of the people we host, um, on kaitiakitanga, um, the po of ensuring that we're um, guardians of the environment, and the last important one is whakawhanaungatanga, um, the pole or pillar which ensures that we are working together as a whānau and ensuring we're developing relationships and connections with people. All of these fit so beautifully into the 2025 framework. How are you sort of across that and how's it working? To achieve that heightened visitor experience, we need to um, come back to talking about kotahitanga. As an industry, we need to collaborate more. We need to ensure that the uh, visitor, under, uh, that we understand a visitor needs a seamless journey. That although we have regions and we have 
um, cities and boundaries that we work within, we need to make sure as we take the taonga or the visitor as a special guest or, or gift rather, that we're handing them over to people that are also providing an exceptional service so that it's sort of like a, um, you know, handing the person over to someone that you'd trust with something that's very precious, i.e. the visitor. So we need to we need to collaborate more. We need to also, um, where possible, pool our resources, and I mean that from business, a business perspective, where, whether it's shared marketing, whether it's shared vision for a region, and working both with trade, those that are operators, and our agencies to make sure we can produce that whole um, collaboration around that strategy. Otherwise, it's going to be piecemeal. I was on a business trip in Australia, and I figured I've come that far, I have to see New Zealand, and uh, had a few friends who had been here, and they said it was a must-see. What we saw today is really fantastic. The glowworm is really something that will stay in our minds. Tourism New Zealand's chief executive, Kevin Bowler, says one of his main goals is to target high-value tourists. I think that makes sense. I think anywhere that we can uh, potentially over time establish direct flights or one-stop flying uh, is important. And those emerging markets, those markets where we're seeing a growing middle class uh, with big populations make a lot of sense. So one of the things that we're trying to do is build diversity. We already have a tremendously successful business from China, um, but we don't want to be entirely reliant on China. It's important for us to have um, strength in other emerging markets as well, and this extra funding's helped us do that. Improving New Zealand's tourism infrastructure is going to be increasingly important if the industry wants to achieve its 2025 goal. At the almost brand new Christchurch International Airport, the big China Southern Airlines Boeing Dreamliner has just touched down and a distinctly New Zealand welcome is underway here in the Arrivals Hall. It's a special charter flight, but one the Christchurch and Canterbury Tourism Chief Executive Tim Hunter says is important as the city tries to move on from the devastating earthquakes. Well, we saw a huge drop-off in business right throughout 2011 and very, very, very slow recovery through 2012. So it has taken two years to really, you know, convincingly turn the corner. We did that in a convincing way at the start of 2013. We saw early into 2013 all those long-haul markets that had nourished Christchurch come back very strongly. Um, and again, this summer, we've seen, you know, the European markets and the US very strong but China coming out of the blocks as being you know, a new player and making up for a lot of the volume loss that we've had out of Australia particularly. I'm Tim Dearsley and I'm the uh, hotel manager at Hotel Ibis in Hereford Street. We were the first hotel to reopen after the earthquake. It took over a year to get to that stage of about $12 million and up to 160 people working on the site every day. But, yeah, it's been very successful. Tim Hunter says the Christchurch rebuild is allowing the city to create new infrastructure, which will offer tourists one of the best experiences in the country. One of the big anchor projects is the convention centre. It's on track. The, the, um, the requests for proposals have gone out for the convention centre to be built. So there's no reason why we shouldn't see a confirmed project announced by the end of the year. 
and uh, the government has signalled they're still on track uh, with their own process. They are funding the convention centre for that to be open in 2017. So we're already doing, through our convention bureau, bids for you know, 2019, 2021. There are you know, people wanting to conference here. Um, the, there will be very good demand for that once we have certainty that, uh, the, of the, the timelines for that project and when that convention centre will be open. I mean, Christchurch performed extremely well before the earthquake. We had 25% share of the New Zealand conference market for multi-day conferences, and from the Australian market, we had a 45% share of that market in 2010. So it was a great, easy, compact city to conference in, and we know that the city we're going to get with the anchor projects is going to be just as good as the one we had. Other cities, too, are taking a closer look at their infrastructure and what they offer tourists. Places like Rotorua, where the trade manager for destination Rotorua, Patrick Volt, says work is already underway to rejuvenate a tired city centre. Our inner city development team is, uh, is hard at work. I don't know if you've heard recently we've had inaugurated Eat Street. It's a covered and heated uh, canopy covering section of Tutanakai streets, which hosts a selection, not all, but only a selection of restaurants. And of course, Heated and entertainment will it brings a hub of life, but there is a long-term plan and exactly to develop that inner city core and making sure that we have uh, not only a shopping street, art galleries, and but you are correct that is uh, strategically our plan. It includes working, living, and of course attracting people to Rotorua for visiting. Destination Rotorua has used one of New Zealand's most popular Māori songs to rebrand itself. And while always a popular traditional destination for domestic tourists, the Prime Minister acknowledges the city has suffered in recent times. Rotorua has been going through lots of changes, and I think that's partly reflected who's coming to New Zealand and why. So one of the changes to that the Chinese introduced in terms of their new travel law was essentially the way to think, I think, about that as consumer protection law. And I think you really genuinely were getting people coming to New Zealand on those cheap and cheerful Chinese trips who were getting ripped off. I think they were... Their programme was um, designed in such a way that they could never get to see a real New Zealand shop. They were often taken you know, in a state of exhaustion to some sort of garage where they were sold a product that was claimed to be made in New Zealand and paid sort of four times as much for it. So we actually supported what China was doing and it's changed the way things happen. But typically they were a bit on the fly into Auckland, go to Rotorua, go home. So... And the changing face of the Japanese tourism market's also had an impact over the years. I, I think um, Rotorua is going to uh, continue to grow and develop. There is more investment happening there. Getting tourists off the traditional golden route of Auckland to Rotorua and then on to Queenstown is something the Prime Minister wants to see happening to drive growth in the regions. For places such as the west coast of the South Island, the burgeoning free independent traveller sector has been a boon. Although the Destination West Coast Chief Executive Jim Little says with only one road in and out, the route is vulnerable. A slip last year near Haast Pass is still causing problems and Mr Little says protecting roading infrastructure is vital. Yes, it has been, but NZTA and Opus have done a magnificent job. They shifted you know, thousands of tonnes of uh, crud from up the slip 
and uh, basically during the day they've had that road open about 98% of the time, so it's been a minimal impact. Yeah, sure, there's been a few people from time to time that have been delayed or held up, uh, but uh, it's about safety, and they've um, imported a whole lot of special uh, fencing gear to go up on the slip itself. So once it's, they've got all the rubbish off it, they'll be putting up these, like an avalanche fence, really, um, and so they'll be putting that up so that then it'll be much safer and any sort of you know, rocks and stuff falling down will be diverted. As more and more visitors arrive in New Zealand, the inevitable question arises. Is there a point where visitor numbers should be capped? The recent decision by the Minister of Conservation to turn down plans to build a monorail linking Queenstown with Milford Sound, while decried by the development community, was celebrated by those who say New Zealand's untouched landscapes need to be protected from mass tourism. Balancing demand is something the Commercial Partnership Director at the Department of Conservation, Jeff Ensor, says will be the biggest battle in the coming decades. Increasing use in any place is something that does need to be, to be managed, particularly when it reaches a certain point, and it's absolutely linked to the visitor experience. There's a range of techniques to do that, and uh, some of that relates to uh, putting limits on exactly how many numbers we will allow in certain places, and that sounds restrictive, but uh, if it's going to protect the environment and the visitor experience, we have to make some of those calls. Often, though, we find it's about managing better, not overcrowding, so it can be loop tracks so that people aren't bumping into each other, for instance, or um, uh, you know, providing a hut uh, or increasing hut capacity so that people can um, have a better experience, etc. So there's, there's a range of ways. If you look at the flight industry, for instance, uh, as their amount of use increases, where they fly, how high they fly, the techniques they use, that's an example of a sector that's really working hard with us to minimise its impact. And the Prime Minister is also acutely aware of the possible dangers of expansion. The, the real challenge for us is to not lose sight of what it is we're about, which is not just bums on seats. We get about 2.7 million people come a year, about 1.2 million of them are Australians. But I don't think we want to get to the point where the sole goal is just more people. It's can we get people to spend more and stay longer and actually add value um, when they're here. Professor David Simmons says the tourism industry must work very hard to ensure the visitor experience is maintained and he says that's going to become the most important factor as more tourists continue to want to come to New Zealand. He says the number of tourists coming here is not the big worry ahead. How do we continue to offer a quality product and a quality sets of experiences that leads to that long length of stay, which mitigates the travel time and continues to give people um, the experience of a lifetime? And I, w I would approach that question not so much through the question of capacity, but through the question of sort of product and service and experience. I'm Steve Wilde, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight.